Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. It is episode 89 of the podcast, and it's summer. We're still talking hockey because that's what we do. That's that's all we do. And I was just at a big event, which we're going to talk about, the World Junior Summer Showcase. Also going to talk a bit about the Holinka Gretzky Cup today. Um, and then a, a ton of questions, a lot of things about the 2024 draft, uh, incoming recruiting classes, you know, a bunch of those uh, uh, those those kind of things that as we're kind of rolling into September, when we're going to start preseason and different things like that, that we're going to be talking a lot more in depth about. But since it is the summer, you know, I think let's just take it easy. Let's ease into this thing uh, uh, and have some fun uh, talking hockey because it's, you know, even though it is August, we get these big events like the World Junior Summer Showcase, the Gretzky Cup, a U-17 Five Nations, and there's plenty of stuff coming up here in the near future as well. But one thing to get you ready for the season now, because you got to start preparing. Wanted to let you know, if you are a Hockey TV subscriber, all of that, all of those events are now moving to Flow Hockey. So flowhockey.tv is we're going to find all of that. You can go to hockeytv.com to claim, uh, you know, to, to get the, the proper links to claim your new Flow Hockey account. It's a great thing for if you are a current Flow Hockey subscriber. It means there are more games coming to Flow Hockey. And we've got a lot of new things coming for next season, including a, a, a new web experience and all these other things that everybody behind the scenes has been working on for quite some time and we're getting ready to roll it out but the initial steps are happening right now so if you are a hockey tv subscriber it's time to move that over to flow hockey you'll have all the details there and if you do need additional assistance in getting that all set up you can still reach out to support at hockeytv.com to get to the hockey tv specific customer support team um, everybody from hockey tech is is with flow hockey now um, it's a great group of people based out of Waterloo, Ontario. They've obviously been one of the most important brands in amateur hockey for, well, going on over a decade now. And to have them as part of Flow Hockey and to have that, those events and, and more junior hockey, um, you know, more youth hockey, having all of that on the Flow Hockey platform is super exciting for me. Um, and it should be exciting for you as well, especially if you're a current subscriber because your whole subscription just got a heck of a lot more valuable. Um, so we're really excited for that. So keep an eye out for that. There's also uh, a, a page on flowhockey.tv that you can find a little bit more information about this changeover. Nobody really loves change all the time, but I guarantee you this is a change for the better and really looking forward to continuing to work with these leagues that are coming over as part of the Flow Hockey uh, and Hockey Tech uh, acquisition. So really great stuff there and certainly something that you're going to have to keep an eye on because this season is going to be busy for us over at Flow Hockey. But so is this offseason. It's been a lot of work and, and certainly getting prepped for that, but also getting back to the rink where, you know, you spend the first week of August in a, an ice arena, um, you know, not typically the place where you would expect to be, maybe a beach perhaps, but not us. No, we are in the rinks and certainly want to give you a lot of coverage about that. So the World Junior Summer Showcase involves uh, USA, Finland, and Sweden. It is a primary evaluation point for both the U.S. and, and the other the European nations as well. 
Team USA brought in 45 players, split them into two teams. And these are all players that are vying for spots at the 2024 World Junior Championship. Now, throughout this entire first half of the season, we're going to have a lot of World Junior Championship prep coverage. We're going to cover it even more in depth than we did last year. I'll be on site at the tournament. And that's why I was on site at the summer camp, because this is really those first steps. And so you get a lot of information about this tournament through uh, about the World Juniors through that summer camp. A lot of decisions are made in the summer, and then players are kind of moved around based on how their first half of the season goes. But there are a lot of guys that can play themselves into contention, can play themselves out of contention in summer camp. But it's it's more about you know this opportunity to see all these different combinations, try a bunch of different things. USA kept shuffling the rosters to try to get different mixes of players. And in the end, they came up with you know what I what I think was a very competitive couple of days. Um, most of the teams there had splits. You know, like Finland was very competitive, Sweden was very competitive. Both of them went two and two on the week, and then the U.S. teams uh, certainly had their hands full, but also had some great moments as well. And you know, like I said, the the, the team will not be officially decided until December, but a lot of these decisions are starting to take shape now in the summer. And so um, on flowhockey.tv, there is a ton of written content that you can check out, but I'm going to summarize some of it for you right here on the podcast. But do go check out flowhockey.tv. We got World Junior Summer Showcase. I have player evaluations on every single U.S. player that was in camp. There were 45 of them. There is a capsule on each player there. There is a projected roster, which I'm going to talk a little bit about now. And then there's also uh, detailing the, the standout performers for both the U.S. and then the European teams as well, Finland and Sweden, to give you an idea of which players really kind of up their stock here in the summer. You do have to take this with a grain of salt because it is summer. There are players that are some, some players are going to be in better shape than others or more prepared than others. That is something that actually you know, take, is taken into consideration. It's why the first half of the season is such an important piece. But the players that show up ready for this camp are usually going to have a real good chance to make that team later because their season kind of began already. And so uh, it's a great preview for us to see what these players did. So the interesting thing about this U.S. roster is this is maybe one of the deepest forward groups that I've personally seen at this stage of the process. They lose Logan Cooley, who's the number one player in his birth year, but they, you know, he did sign with Arizona. If you remember our last episode, it hadn't quite happened yet. Well, it happened now. He did sign with Arizona. Um, And we don't know if he'll be available. There's always the chance that Arizona could loan him back. But if he's not, even without Cooley, this is still one of the deepest forward groups that I've been able to, to track. I think you go back to when the 96 and 97 Born players, when you had you know some of the guys like Eichel and Kachuk and, and and Matthews, that was a little bit of a different story. But here you're seeing a, a team that has depth, it has experience, it has skill, it has a good balance of size and speed. So I think that this is a team that that really has an opportunity to win the gold medal. And I know for the guys in the 2004 birth year, we're talking about guys like Cutter Gauthier, Rucker McGrory, um, Jimmy Snuggerud, guys like that. They have been close. Uh, two gold medals at multiple international events, but they have never won a gold medal at an international event. They got bronze last year at the World Juniors. They got, um, you know, they they got 
silver at their under 18 world championship in their U18 season. Uh, no medals uh, for the guys that played as underagers the year before at that under 18 world championship. So they've gotten close, but haven't gotten over the hump. And so this is a team that is absolutely on a mission, especially led by those veteran players. And so what is the roster going to look like? What are we going to see Team USA do to, to try and, and, and maximize the depth that they have up front? Because the defense is another story. We're going to get to that in a minute. But let's talk about the, the forward project, projections here. So without Logan Cooley, it does change things a little bit. And so I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of the projected roster as you can see it. And you can read more about it on flowhockey.tv. But here's here are the top the, the left wingers one through four that I have um, or one through five rather uh, because you know USA can take up to 25 players um, they can only roster 23 at any one time but they will take 25 players we believe so I I went with 14 forwards eight defensemen and three goaltenders um, you do have to you you have three goalies you can have a max of uh, 22 skaters invited so three goalies and 22 skaters. But here's how we look at the left wings. And, and you know, this is where we're going to start because I have Cutter Goche on the wing, and he did play some center in camp. However, I look at Will Smith as, as a play driver, the way that he played. Um, I, I like him better at the center position. So you got Cutter Goche played out to the left wing, and then you've got Rucker McGrady. I think that's two guys, veteran guys, returning players, guys that can score um, and can play a gritty style. The next guy on the list, Isaac Howard. I thought he had a really good camp. He's a first-rounder of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't think he's a lock for this team, but on my projected roster, based specifically on the players that were invited to camp, I thought he acquitted himself very well. He has built-in chemistry with Frank Nazar, who had a great camp, which we'll talk about him more in depth in a minute. And I just love the skill that he plays with and the plays that he was making and the tenacity that he was playing with. He's going to be in a bit of a battle. Uh, with a couple of other guys, including one on the bubble that I'll talk about in a second. Um, also in this mix, Danny Nelson from last year's under-18 team. Um, he's a versatile wing with speed and size. I do not think that he will be viewed as a scoring, uh, you know, a primary scoring threat on this U.S. roster, but I could see him playing in a fourth-line role as a heavy player, playing with physicality, getting defensive matchups. He's a, a guy that used to play defense when he was younger and now has been converted to forward. I think he'll be on the wing as opposed to center, just based on who they have in camp, uh, who they had in camp. So that's uh, another one. And then another guy as an extra forward, and potentially you could potentially throw Cole Knubel right into the top nine here. He had a remarkable camp. Philadelphia Flyers prospect heading to Notre Dame, the son of Mike Knubel, Great player in the USHL last year with the Fargo Force. Cole Knubel is a guy that I can definitely see in the mix for this U.S. team and also playing anywhere. He played on the power play, the PK. Um, they gave him looks in the top six. They gave him looks in the bottom six. I think that he excelled no matter where they put him in. And the only thing going against Cole Knubel, because he's got the motor, he has skill, he's got speed, he's not that big of a player. That And that if that's the, if that's the thing what, that is a tipping point, you know, USA does have a fair amount of smaller forwards, but then they also have some size and some heaviness up front. So just finding the right balance. But I do think Cole Knubel put himself firmly in the mix for this team. And so that's my view of the left wingers. When we look at, and also I should say, Cole Knubel can play right wing, he can play center, he can play wherever. I mean, basically, he, it's just as an extra forward, and I listed him with the left wingers. 
Um, going down the middle, this is where things get interesting because you don't have Logan Cooley, but I think that moves Will Smith very firmly into the number one center position for this team. You could potentially move Cutter Goche over, but I really do think Will Smith is the guy to be the, the play-driving, play-making center of the top line. Now you'd say, but Chris, he was a part of the, the, the junior line, the under-18 line last year that set all kinds of records. Why would you break that group up? Well, that's actually something that they did in camp. They broke up the line of Gabe Perot, Will Smith, and Ryan Leonard. Those guys barely played together. In fact, Leonard wasn't even on the same team as the other two. They did put Perot with Smith, try to get him going a little bit, and that did seem to help. But I think that when you looked at that trio of players, and you'll notice that I didn't mention Gabe Perot. We're going to get to the bubble in just a second. But Gabe Perot, um, you know, of the three of them, seemed like he was less effective away from the other two than the other two were away from their trio. And I thought that both Leonard and Smith were very good players in this. And I thought Perot had a lukewarm camp, but I, I still think he is a special talent. I still think he's very much in the mix for this roster, especially knowing the built-in chemistry that he has with Will Smith and Ryan Leonard. Don't overthink it, but at the same time, you want roster flexibility when you're in a short tournament like this. You can't waste time, and if thing if something isn't clicking and you know that that player is not as effective away from the other players, that's when you start having some concerns. That's not to say that Gabe Perot won't be effective come later in the year uh, away from them because he absolutely can be. He's a highly intelligent player. I think he can play with anybody. I just thought the other two showed more in camp away from that. So we've got Will Smith at the number one center position. Then you look at James Hagens, underager, not draft eligible until 2025. He'll be on the under 18 team this year, currently uncommitted, the number one target in the current recruiting class for everybody. Um, they are trying to get a hold of, of James Hagens. He also has options and, and major junior. There's all different ways he can go. But at this camp, I thought he solidified himself as a potential top six forward on this team. He's a play driving center, a play making center, similar vein to Will Smith, but I think he's a bit of a better skater. He's got a little bit more quickness. There's uh, you know, I got some texts from scouts that were, that, you know, hadn't seen him yet because they were working on the previous year. And, um, and they said, I mean, I'm seeing, you know, Jack Hughes vibes from this guy. And I, I think that's fair. He's not a big guy, but he plays very confident, um, speaking with the players, they have a tremendous amount of, uh, amount of respect for James Higgins already, which is pretty remarkable to think about that this is a young guy that's in there and he's he's got the respect of his teammates like that. Then you look at Frank Nazar in the next in the next slot. Frank Nazar had the best camp of anybody with eight points. He is the highest scoring player at the World Junior Summer Showcase. And when you think about him being coming off of surgery last year, getting didn't wasn't up to full speed. Couldn't help Michigan as much as he would have if he was healthy and ready um, And at the end of the season because he was playing when it was everything was ramped up. Look for him to have a huge year in college hockey. I think Frank Nazar is going to turn some heads. Chicago Blackhawks prospect playing at the University of Michigan, and he looked spectacular in this camp, very much firmly in that center mix. Um, but one thing you'll notice, all of these centers that we've mentioned so far, not the biggest guy. Will Smith is about six foot. James Higgins, 5'10". Uh, Frank Nazar, 5'10", 5'11", you know, so not big guys. And that's why I think you go back to the veteran, the guy that has been there for three years uh, or will be coming back for his third World Juniors, which hasn't happened in over a decade for a player to play in three consecutive World Junior Championships, Charlie Stramel. 
I didn't think he had a great camp, to be completely honest. I thought that he underperformed at camp. I thought there were some concerns that cropped up. However, he is a primary penalty killer. He was very good at last World Junior Championship. I can't wait to see what happens when Mike Hastings gets his hands on him at the University of Wisconsin. I think Charlie Stramo plays. He's a first-round draft pick, but he can play a role, and that is what he's going to have to do for this team, playing down the lineup, being a big, heavy, difficult-to-play-against center. And then as another extra forward, I added Oliver Moore. Slow start to camp. Incredible finish, was a goal scorer, was putting himself in good positions. I think the one thing that gives him me a little bit pause here and say maybe not is I didn't think that Oliver Moore drove play consistently enough. I thought he finished a lot of plays. I didn't think he drove a lot of plays. But this is a player whose speed is a weapon. If you have him, you're automatically faster than everybody else on the ice. Um, And that is something that I think is valuable. And that's why I have Oliver Moore over Gabe Perot at this point in time in terms of extra forwards. And same with Cole Knubel. I just think there's a little more versatility in their games where if they're not producing, they are creating some additional value defensively as penalty killers, as guys that can play a role. So that's our look at the centers. Now down on the right side, Team USA, again, has depth here. They have they have experience. They have potentially two returnees and one guy that I think had a great camp and another guy who is definitely defined a role. So looking down this, you got Jimmy Snuggerud as the number one right wing. Even without Logan Cooley, I think he's going to have a spectacular year at Minnesota. He's a goal scorer. He's a trigger man. He didn't score a ton in camp, but he was involved in everything. He's a threatening player. He plays a heavy game. Jimmy Snuggerud, I think, is a key guy, potentially wearing a letter for this team at this tournament. Ryan Leonard is going to come in, and and we talked about him a little bit earlier and how he looked good away from Will Smith and Gabe Perot. He was able to drive play a little bit. He was able to take over shifts. He was able to be physical. He was able to score, um, or he he actually, he was a little bit snake bitty. He couldn't seem to find the back of the net, but He created so many scoring chances with his quick hands and his power and his speed. So got a lot of time for him. I think he's going to be a really, really good player uh, for Team USA uh, at this tournament. Gavin Brindley, another returner, you know, undersized, but incredibly speedy, probably on the PK for USA, playing in key minutes. Um, You know, maybe he is in the top six. Maybe he's on your, your third line. I think Team USA has three lines with big-time scoring potential, and a fourth line with scoring depth pop. Um, so that's another area to kind of keep an eye on as well, as I think that uh, that Gavin Brindley can kind of slot in wherever you need him. And lastly, Gavin Hayes, Chicago Blackhawks prospect, plays in the OHL with Flint Firebirds. He's got scoring potential, but what I thought he did in the camp was he showed, hey, I can play a role. I can be a depth guy. I can make you know give you good shifts. I can get to the net front. I can create some havoc. He can play on the power play. Um, there were a lot of things that he did that I thought showed he belongs in the mix here. So that's the group. As far as guys in the bubble, I think guys like Devin Kaplan, Gabe Perot, who I mentioned, um, you know, are, are there. Quentin Musty, who had a very strong camp as well. Those are guys that I think are on the bubble and, and, and sh- certainly should be in camp. And then I think you're going to also see a couple of guys that maybe didn't get invited to summer camp that get a look in the winter camp as well. Going to really quickly run through the defense here because I wanted to uh, talk about some of the, the camp performers. And, and really what it comes down to is I think the defense battles are not to be won until November. I think there is going to be a lot of time that USA's decision makers are going to spend trying to figure out exactly how to build this blue line. I didn't think that any of the non-returning players 
with the exception of maybe Eric Polkamp, who is on the projected roster, acquitted themselves well enough to say, I belong on this team. Um, I thought that the returning guys, which is Lane Hudson, Ryan Chesley, and, and Seamus Casey, who did not play in last year's World Juniors, but was uh, part of the roster of that extended roster of 25 players. Um, I thought all three of them said, yeah, we're going to be among the top four in this. In this, After that, it is a complete wild card. Um, on my projected roster, I did have Drew Fortescue and Paul Fisher on the left side, along with Zeev Booyam, and then Eric Polkamp, who had a great camp. Going to Bemidji State this year, had two years at uh, at Cedar Rapids, and this is a guy that just plays a, a hard physical game, even though he's not that big of a guy and he's got a heck of a shot, really good mobility. And then I think one of the real wild cards of this entire process is going to be Sam Renzel, Chicago Blackhawks first-round draft pick. He had a really good start to camp, not a great finish. Um, I think there's got to be some more maturity in his game, but he is stronger. He's a good skater. He was the biggest defenseman in the camp. Um, that's a guy that I think you want to look at long and hard and, and and say, hey, maybe we do still have room for a player with his skill set. And then lastly, just wanted to go through the goaltending. Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler, as we expected, are going to be the top two guys for this team. I think that they both are going to play significant roles for their college teams this year. Michigan State for Augustine, Boston College for Fowler. Um, I think that those are two guys that are absolutely going to be in the mix for um, you know, to, to play games. Uh, after that, I think the open position is that third goalie position. Of the guys in camp, I thought Hampton Slikinski, the, uh, the LA Kings prospect, had the best camp. Uh, but Tyler Muselik uh, is, is a veteran guy. And then you have Andrew Oak, who's actually been the third goalie in the last two World Juniors. Um, so I think it'll actually end up coming down to Muselik or Slikinski. Um, and then maybe at that point you lean towards the veteran because you're not expecting to have to, to need that third goalie very much. But that's, I mean, that's that's the projected roster. And if you look at it, I think up front you're really excited. On the back end, you're a little concerned. And then in goal, I think you feel very comfortable about either Augustine or Fowler. And then Augustine already has World Junior experience. He's been on that stage. So that's really good. I think coming out of camp, you look at the way that Frank Nazar played and you say that's really encouraging for our forward group because he's healthy. He looked great. Lane Hudson, I mean, as dynamic as anybody, you know, just he scored an incredible goal in this camp and um, and really was a guy that I thought, you know, took the charge of being the number one defenseman. He had the puck a lot. It's very dangerous with that. Uh, but, you know, I'd say as far as open positions on this team, um, you're looking at about four to five, four to five defensemen that you still have to sort out. Uh, I think you really only have three that you could write in ink on your roster, and that's Hudson, Chesley, and Casey. I think Camp made a very strong case for himself. Beyond that, you have to figure it out. They're, they're heavy on the right side. They don't have as much talent on the left side, so there are going to be some decisions to be made in terms of which guys can play on their off wing and all that other stuff. Meanwhile, you've also got uh, on the wings, I think the centers that I mentioned are all pretty much dialed in, but on the wings, you look at Quentin Musty, Gabe Perot, Ike Howard, Danny Nelson is kind of that quad of guys that are probably battling each other for various spots on the roster, you know, Kadubel, that. And then if you bring in Logan Cooley, if he comes back from Arizona, which is a distinct possibility, then you have to start making additional decisions. I think that pushes guys maybe like Oliver Moore out of the picture, or maybe it pushes Cole Knubel out of the picture. Those are the types of things that you have to weigh. But I think USA is going to have forward depth like they've never had before. They're going to have less on the blue line, but they're also going to have goaltending that they they feel confident about. So this is a team that is absolutely competing for a gold medal uh, at this World Junior Championship. All right. 
So again, want you to make sure that you check out all of the content. There is so much more detail than I can provide here in this podcast on flowhockey.tv, but uh, certainly wanted to summarize for you, save you a little bit of time uh, and uh, point you in the right direction. Now we move on and talk about the Holinka Gretzky Cup. And this is a, a tournament that every single year is exciting. It is interesting. And in the end, I think we we probably have to take the, the results and also the performances with a grain of salt, but it does give us that baseline of players that we should be keeping a close eye on for the remainder of the season. Canada once again won the Holinka Gretzky Cup, but by the skin of their teeth, they score a late goal in overtime. Malcolm Spence, who's not draft eligible until 2025, scores to beat Czechia in a spectacular final. Uh, the Czechs gave Canada everything they could handle. They had great skill up front. They had a tough defense. They had good goaltending. But in the end, Canada wins the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Again, this tournament, when we think about it, we're going to think about Berkeley Catton. We're going to think about the way that he played for Team Canada. Ten points, tied for the tournament lead in scoring, was a dominant player. Everything positive that Canada was doing, he seemed to be driving. Even when they weren't playing their best, he was at a different level. And that is where we talk about a player, and there's actually a question about him later in our Q&A. That's a memorable performance that sticks in our mind, and that gives Berkeley Catton an opportunity to build off of that for the remainder of the season. Now, we saw guys last year like Braden Yeager and Callum Ritchie have spectacular World uh, or Helenka Gretzky Cups. They end up going a bit later in the first round. I think Catton is in the mix to be a potential top five, top seven pick in this draft. We know that there's a lot of good defensemen available. We know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's the Macklin Celebrini draft. There's Ivan Demidov, and, and these are, you know, the forwards that he's going to compete with. But Catton has at least put himself on the radar as a legit top tier prospect for this draft. And we'll continue to watch him for that. When we look at the other performances throughout the tournament, one of the ones that sticks out is the U.S. Trevor Connolly was the leading scorer for Team USA. They finished third. It's it, you know this is at, at the Holinka Gretzky Cup when they don't have the national team development program players. They need guys to step up. Trevor Connolly did as a an experienced USHL player, as a guy that had a great rookie season with Tri City last year, and I think he established himself as a first round option. Now, if you've heard the name Trevor Connolly before or you haven't, there are some mitigating circumstances. Teams are doing a lot of due diligence on him due to some off-ice concerns. He, he got kicked off of his, his uh, AAA team right before the national championship for some dis disciplinary issues. There has been um, a, a lot of effort to you know work through that and work past some of the immaturity and different things like that. Um, you know, it's, it's not, there's nothing criminal, you know, like I know that the people have, when we kind of start talking about character concerns and different things, I think Mitchell Miller is the name that comes up right away. This isn't that case. This isn't that scenario. Um, but it, I think it is something that teams are actively looking at. And we'll get into it more. Um, you know, there are obviously a lot of details that I don't personally have about uh, about what happened and what transpired. But this is a team, a, a player that a lot of teams are going to do due diligence on to determine whether or not they should draft him. And I think they're going to look a lot harder because this is a guy that says. Hey, I mean, based on talent, you would say this is a first-round draft pick. He had 10 points at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. He was a, a, a an instant guy last year where he made an instant impact, um, and he's heading to Providence College after next season. 
So it's a name to remember. It's a name to continue to look out for. And it is also one that NHL teams are continually doing due diligence on. But you have to give, uh, you know, from from an on-ice perspective only, um, you know, I think that Connolly really did put himself on the map and, and is going to put teams in a position where they say, let's make sure we have all our, our, our T's crossed, our I's dotted. Um, let's make sure we know who this player is and before we make any decisions about the draft. So um, that is what you should do about every player. Um, but uh, obviously some require a different kind of set of circumstances, but that's one to, to keep an eye out. Another guy that, that really I think will, will be remembered for this tournament is Adam Benak. And, um, you know, this is a young player who 2007 born, and we were all focused on Michael Misa, who's the exceptional player. He had a great tournament as well, eight points for him. But Adam Benak uh, is a small player, five foot seven, 140 pounds or so. This is a small young man in terms of, you know, what we look at. He's still growing. He's 16. There's plenty of time. He had six points at last year's under 17 World Hockey Challenge. He had 10 points in this tournament, including eight assists, and was one of the most dynamic players there. And, you know, I'm going to have to drill down into the video a bit more. He's obviously not draft eligible until 2025, but that is a player that we have to keep an eye on now. And you think back to a couple of years ago at this tournament, who were Dalibor Dvorsky was the guy that took the tournament by storm. This year was Adam Benak. We're going to have to keep a real close eye on him. A lot of guys had really good world uh, or Holinka Gretzky cups. Um, and, you know, I think that what this showed was that there are a number of Canadian players uh, that we saw in this tournament that we thought looked like top tier draft talent that probably have a lot more to prove um, that we're going to have to wait and see how their how their season plays out. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about guys like Zane Parekh who kind of ended up down the lineup, um, you know, uh, Sam Dickinson, who is probably one of the most gifted athletes of the class, but there's still concerns. You know, one guy that I think really did stand out, Henry Muse, um, who we have a question about that we'll address later, but that's another guy that, that he led all defensemen in scoring with seven points. Um, and then I think if we were looking at goaltending for this uh, event, um, certainly not something that we would view as a strength um, in, in this particular class based on what we already know about um, some of the, you know, the, the guys that we had in last draft. I don't think we have the depth this year to go through it, but there's uh, plenty more to be learned about this, uh, this, this 2024 draft class. We're going to talk a lot about it throughout the entire season, just as we did. I'll be writing about it a lot as well. Um, but, you know, I think when you look at that Canadian roster and you say, you know, there are some guys that absolutely perform to a high standard, and there are some guys that we're going to want to see a little bit more out of um, as the season progresses. And we also have to keep in mind it's August. Not These, these guys are not in midseason form. And it just reminds us how long a draft season is the fact that it starts in late July and then basically goes until you're drafted in June. Um, it is a long process. It is grueling. And these players deserve a lot of credit for when they get through it as well as they do, uh, because that is something that is uh, certainly important. All right. As we do every single episode, we are going to open the floor to questions. I put it out on uh, Twitter X, whatever we're calling it now. Um, a call for questions and I kind of left it open-ended got a lot of questions about players that were at the world junior summer showcase. And that's where we're going to start 
Um, but we're, we're going to focus more on the World Juniors. Now we're going to get in a little bit of the 2024 NHL draft, a little bit about the 2023-24 NHL season, and then also a little bit about college recruiting. So let's get to those questions now. Let's get through them. And our first question comes from Avco Cup, a frequent questioner. And this is about Canada and the World Juniors. And the question is, why did Canada decide not to hold the World Junior Summer Camp this year? Will this have any negative impact on team performance when the tournament starts? All right, well, let's get to the first part. Um, you know, Canada is still, Hockey Canada is still reeling from the financial implications of the 2018 World Junior Scandal um, that really rocked the country and cost a lot of people their jobs. And we saw a, a there is now a new board in Hockey Canada. There is uh, a new CEO. There are a lot of people in, in leadership positions that are going to potentially change things. That alone, however, did not bring back all the sponsors that Hockey Canada lost. And what also happened is if the sponsors didn't completely drop Hockey Canada, they asked to have their funds redirected towards the women's national team program. Um, and that is what Hockey Canada did. So that le- that meant no program of excellence camps this year. So Canada has the program of excellence, which is different from the national team development program that USA Hockey does. Basically, they get all their players into um, these camps. They're from the, uh, they, they get basically their tryouts for the U17 Challenge, their tryouts for the Holinka Gretzky. They work in their World Junior tryouts and all that other stuff that happens. And it's a very intense, um, you know, couple of weeks of, of hockey that didn't happen this year. Hockey Canada did have a meeting with their players. They had a pool of, I believe, 45 players that were invited to participate in their summer orientation, which was basically uh, a video conference um, where everybody got to get on the same page. Coaches got to talk about expectations. But now you lose that camp element. What what is what you ultimately lose? I don't think you you worry so much about the evaluation. Although you look at the way that. Canada started the Holinka Gretzky Cup with a dramatic loss um, and and where they just bled goals for the whole game, it showed that they weren't quite ready to go. They got better as the tournament wore on, but they weren't quite ready to go. That's where the camp comes into play. So that doesn't affect you at the World Juniors because I think Hockey Canada will still have their winter camp with a select group of players, and then they'll go over to Gothenburg, Sweden for the tournament. Um, But Basically, I don't think it'll have a, a profoundly negative impact because the the actual camp process, once you get to the World Juniors, that team's together two weeks before the tournament starts. They essentially, essentially spend a month together. Um, and so I don't think that it'll have a negative impact on their performance. But if you do look at the Canadian roster and you look at the U.S. roster side by side, um, you know, especially if there's no Connor Bedard, no Adam Fantilli, Um, Are there other players that will be missing? Um, You know, I think this is, you know, Hockey Canada is going to have some very difficult decisions to make and not because of depth decisions. There's just a lot of players that are question marks at this point. Um, But really good question. And we'll see. I'm sure Canada will have their camps reinstated um, once the funding returns uh, from the sponsors. But, yeah, that is the reason um, that there were no camps this year. All right, we got a question from Charlie, and this is about a player that was at the World Junior Summer Showcase playing for Sweden. And Charlie asks, what would you say the ceiling is for Philip Bistet as an NHLer? Well, Philip Bistet, first-round draft pick of the San Jose Sharks, 
Um, finished the camp with a hat trick in the final game that Finland ended up or Sweden ended up uh, narrowly losing um, uh, to USA on a, on a late goal by fellow Sharks prospect Quentin Musty. Uh, but the thing about Bstead is, is I think the question is, I, I think he's going to be a middle six center. I think that you know his his ceiling is number two center. I don't think when you see a player at his size and his speed, you would want you would hope that maybe there's a chance that he could be a number one center. I just don't see him as a play driver in the same way that you look at like Will Smith, who's also now a San Jose Sharks prospect, drives play it from the center position. Philip Bestead is a power center. He gets to the middle very well. He makes plays. There's a lot to like about his game. Um, but I just don't see that that I, I think it whether it's a hockey sense thing or just a, a, a you know an execution thing, I just don't I haven't seen enough from him over the last couple of years to say that guy is going to be a number one center. I do think that there's potential to be a number two center. If at, I think at worst he's a number three and a good number three center at that, with his size, speed, and skill, there's a lot to work with. So I think he's got a great ceiling. Um, as soon as he gets into the mix with the Sharks and they can kind of start developing him for the role that they expect him to play long-term, I think that'll be a good thing. Um, playing in Sweden against men, continuing at the professional level, trying to be a more dominant player. I think there's I got, I got a lot of time for him. I think he's going to be a really solid player uh, for the Sharks long-term. All right. Our next question comes from Oda. And Oda asks... Should Lenny Haminaho have been a first-round pick? So Lenny Haminaho was one of the best players uh, for Finland at the World Junior Summer Showcase. He was uh, the second-leading scorer among all players with seven points. He was really good at driving play. He was making uh, you know good reads. He was making good passes. He was getting shots on net. Um, you know, all of that is to say. There is a a good prospect there in Lenny Hamanaho. The thing that I think is is harder to say is, you know, is there a dynamic element to him that suggests he's going to be a top end producer at the NHL level? That's a little bit less certain. But he was an efficient player. He wasn't fancy. He he made plays last year. He played all season at the professional level in Finland. He got stronger. He's hard to knock off the puck. He's good at getting the puck back. He's good in puck pursuit. You know, he he can play. Um, he was on the World Junior team last year. Fully expecting to play an even bigger role this year. Uh, but Lenny Aminaho uh, was outstanding, and I I think that you know as good as he was, I still don't think in this particular class last year that he fit for me as a first round draft pick. I think that there's good value in where the Devils drafted him, 58th overall. I think that he is a guy that um, is is probably a good middle six wing long term, um, and that's a great thing uh, you know to have. You want to have guys like that. But he had a great camp, no question about it. He came in ready, um, and he helped a team that was really struggling to score score some points in that event. So Lenny Hemin Aho. Not a first-rounder, but certainly a good prospect and one I think that the Devils should be happy to have. All right, our next question comes from Joseph, and this is uh, based off of some recent news. And uh, Joseph asks, why are some Finnish picks, Haltunen and Kumpalainen, going to the OHL for their draft plus one season? So, you know, Kasper Haltunen... um, is a guy that had a chance to go in the first round last year, didn't end up going to, as a second round pick. 
Um, and he is now going to the London Knights in the OHL. So that is, um, you know, for him, that is a, a, a decision. He signed his contract as well. Um, you know, so that's basically, I think one of the reasons is to go to the junior route. For one, it gives your NHL team a little bit more control and a little more contact with you if you're here as opposed to there. That's not to say the teams don't uh, have contact with their players in Europe. They do. Um, you know, but I think in Hal Tunin's case, you know, you want to try and get him under your developmental wing as best you can. Um, I think at London in particular, they're going to have guys around him that can help him be a solid player. Uh, he's physically more advanced than most of the players he's going to play against. He, he's got some pro experience in Finland's top pro league, um, playing 27 games last year. But you also have to remember, he didn't necessarily score a lot. And there were also times where he didn't necessarily play a whole lot when he got opportunities at Liga. So this allows him to get more ice time, allows him to play in a role that, um, you know, that that ultimately could help him get the uh, get the results that he needs to um, to kind of open up the rest of his offensive game. He didn't really produce last year um, the way that we thought he would. And now he gets an opportunity to go um, to the. OHL. Same thing with uh, Kumpelainen, who is a Minnesota Wild draft pick. He's heading to the Oshawa Generals. And, you know, I think for him, he did not get many pro reps last year. He played a couple games in Finland's uh, lower division, Mestis, and then uh, played primarily at the U20 level. So this is a chance for him to step up the league that he was playing in. Um, maybe he's, you know, maybe he also has information that, um, you know, that, that he wouldn't get a, a you know a role on the pro team. Uh, he's not yet signed by Minnesota, unlike Haltunen, who was signed by San Jose. Um, but what he's able to do now is is kind of make that transition to North America, be under the eye of the of the Minnesota Wild, and it gives him an opportunity, um, you know, to continue to develop at a level that he's comfortable at. And he doesn't, you know, because some of these guys will go in and playing pro hockey. It's not the best fit for everybody. Um, it's not the best fit for every 19-year-old. And when they don't get the ice time at the pro level, that's when things kind of compound. And then, you know, you start worrying about development, losing time, different things like that. I think that players should fight through those challenges more often than not. It helps build character, but it also helps them become better players. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's not like Kumpelainen had lit the Finnish U20 ranks on fire last year. He's a bit of a longer term project. He's a guy that's going to need some time because he, he's got size, he's got strength, but we need to see a little bit more from him um, in terms of his overall offensive potential. All right, our next question, another draft-related question, and this involves some players that were at the World Junior Summer Showcase, and we can opine a little bit more. And This one comes from Jay Gregory, and the question is, would you have taken Gabe Perot over Oliver Moore if you were the Chicago Blackhawks? Well, they both were there, um, and I think the thing is, is that every team, whether or not, you know, we, we talk about best player available a lot, but I think teams are more focused on fit um, and and how, you know, how is this player going to fit within what we've built? And I think in the case of the Blackhawks, Oliver Moore made more sense to them. It strengthened them down the middle. It gave them a fast player. It gave them a player that has high character and a guy that they 
really spend a lot of time on. Um, he's not, you know, they, they could probably still stand to get bigger up front. That's probably one of the issues the Blackhawks still have. And neither of those players would have helped you in that regard. Um, so I think the one thing about Moore is as a center, he's got a bit more versatility. He's not as good a scorer or offensive player as um, Gabe Perot. And the, the debate becomes then, well, wouldn't you love to have an elite playmaker, a guy with incredible vision in Gabe Perot, a guy who, you know, kind of grew up in Chicago uh, with his dad, Yannick Perot, working for the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, a guy that made made a lot of sense. I think it made sense. But again, you know, you're looking at fit and the Blackhawks do need to get better on the wing. You know, no question about it. Uh, you know, I think that Perot is likely to be a long-term wing. Um, you know, I just don't think the defensive capabilities that he has are as sound. But I think you just get a little bit more from more in terms of compete, in terms of motor, in terms of speed. Absolutely speed. I mean, and and I think as everybody's looking to get faster, there are unique skaters. Now, I had them listed in, you know, I, I eventually did move Perot very late in the process ahead of more. Um, but I think if I'm the Chicago Blackhawks, I can totally see where it was. Um you know, maybe there was an even a, another option available to them there. I don't necessarily think that it would have to be like Perot versus Moore. But based on how excited the Blackhawks were about drafting Moore, um, obviously that was their guy the whole way, and they were stunned that he was still there. And frankly, so was I. And I was also stunned that Gabe Perot went as far down as he went. But that's the way it goes. All right. If you are a Montreal Canadiens fan, you can't get enough on Lane Hudson, can you? Well, Habs on Reddit on Twitter <laughs> or, or wherever had this to ask, and I'm not surprised. Hey, Chris, what kind of sophomore season do you see Lane Hudson having at BU? All right, well, let's go back to Lane Hudson's freshman season. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast, and I don't mind it because he's one of my favorite players to watch. And at the World Junior Summer Showcase, he was awesome uh, in terms of the puck skills that he plays with. So let's take a look. Last year, Lane Hudson had 48 points. 48 points for his freshman season. One of the highest scoring seasons in the history of the NCAA for a freshman defenseman. Keep in mind, Kale McCarr, as a freshman, had 21 points in 34 games. His following season, he had 49 points in 41 games. So if you say, well, if he can match Kale McCarr's production as a, in his Hobie Baker season, maybe, you know, that's, that's, a good, that's a good one. But now we've already seen Hudson put up 48 points. The guy that I think he's really chasing in terms of impact um, – Certainly Makar is one of them because he won a Hobie Baker award. But one of the guys that I think was truly exceptional at the collegiate level um, was Adam Fox. And Adam Fox had 48 points in 33 games in his final season of college hockey at Harvard. He was a junior, so he was a bit older at that point. Uh, but this is a guy who put up 40-plus points twice in his collegiate career and was averaging an insane amount of of points that season. I think that Lane Hudson has the potential, especially because Boston University is going to have a very good team this year. They're getting Macklin Celebrini. They're bringing in Tom Willander or Tom Willander. They're bringing in, um, you know, uh, some transfers as well. 
that are going to help them more immediately, um, they are pretty special. But if I look at what Adam Fox did in his sophomore season, he had 1.45 points per game. 1.45 points per game from the blue line. Um, and he did not win the Hobie Baker because Kale McCarr uh, was the more impactful player, scored more goals, and, and certainly I think was the more impactful player. But you, you'd you have to say it was neck and neck there. And now both of those guys have won Norris trophies. Um, but I think Lane Hudson, a very realistic possibility for him based on what he did last season, assuming he stays healthy and assuming Boston University goes far, I think it is not out of the question for him to hit somewhere in the 55 to 60 point range, which frankly, we don't see very often at all at the collegiate level from a defenseman. If he does that, he's got a great chance to win the Hobie Baker. Uh, Boston University has a great chance to win a national championship. And Lane Hudson has a great chance to go down as one of the most exciting college hockey defensemen we've ever seen. And after his freshman season, I cannot wait to see what he has up his sleeve for Act 2. And we got a little taste of it at the World Junior Summer Showcase. Pretty darn good. All right, let's move on to our next question. And this one comes from Shokunin. And there, oh, this is a threefer. This is a threefer. This is kind of cheating a little bit, but I'll allow it. Um, the first question is, what is your projection for Cutter Goche in the NHL? Is he a number one play driving center? The next question is, do you think Pavel Mintukov makes Anaheim at the start of the season? And lastly, has Berkeley Catton put himself in the upper tier of the draft? So the last question I pretty much answered earlier in an earlier segment. But yes, Berkeley Catton, I think, has absolutely solidified himself for the preseason um, in that in that mode where he is among the guys like the Celebrinis and the and Levshunov and uh, Cole Iserman and Demidov. Like I don't I don't think he's as good as those guys, but I think he belongs in that that next tier kind of. Right there. So, you know, I, that's an upper tier in the end. I think a top, you know, top five, top six, top seven kind of guy um, heading into the season. As far as Cutter Goche goes, you know, I think he is a difficult player to project because the question is, is does he have, um, does he drive play enough to be a number one center? Um, I think he's a tremendous goal scorer. He's one of the best athletes um, just in terms of his size, his speed is just everything. There is a, a tremendous skill set there and the package of tools that he has at his disposal is there. But I think there are valid concerns about the hockey sense in terms of, you know, is he a playmaker? Is he a, does he get tunnel vision too much sometimes? Can he be dynamic enough to beat defenders one-on-one? Can he make the line, his line mates better? Is he good enough defensively? Um, I So in terms of play driving, you know, I think that he could be more of a, a, of a finishing center, but I think, you know, you watch him play and you just, you know, in terms of his size, his physical makeup, his athleticism, his shot, you know, you, you say, oh, there, there are rhymes it's, with, with Austin Matthews. And not that I just, but the difference is that Matthews has an elite hockey mind. And I think Gauthier's is closer to average. And again, average can work. You know, average NHL average can work with his skill set and that package of, of tools at his disposal. Um, I think we're going to learn a lot about him this season. He's going to be playing center a lot, I think. Excuse me. But I do think that he is one of um, the more interesting prospects to track because as he brings more into his game, there's more of a possibility that he does become that number one center projection. Um, You know, and if you do get a top six center out of a top five pick, 
still a pretty effective pick. Um, so I think I got a lot of time for Kutagoche. Um, As far as if I think Mintukov will make the Anaheim squad at the start of the season, I think he's got a great chance to. There's not a lot of roadblocks. Uh, can, you know, Anaheim did bring in some free agent, some veteran free agents um, that will help usher in some of these younger players. You got to get Jamie Drysdale healthy. Um, you know, but I think in terms of what you do with Mintukov uh, at this point is, you know, you, you kind of get him in the camp and there really can't be any determination until we see how, how much work he's put in over the summer, how prepared he is, um, how much physically stronger he is, if he's making plays at NHL pace. Um, those are the questions that still have to be answered uh, before we can make a, a determination on him. All right. Our next question comes from Nabil, and this is 2024 NHL draft related. And yes, we're going to get a lot of 2024 NHL draft talk here in the coming weeks, even though it is just under a year away. It's never too early. But let's uh, get to Nabil's question here, which is uh, starts off, hope you're having a great summer, Chris. Thanks for the August podcast. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure to do them. It's uh, great to talk to fellow hockey sickos that want to talk uh, hockey when it's 95 degrees outside. Um a lot of talk about Ivan Demidov recently, and some saying he's a better prospect than Mitchkov. As of right now, what's your opinion? Who is the better prospect? Really interesting question, and the the fact of the matter is, I haven't yet seen enough from Demidov, who I think is a very good prospect, to say he's better than uh, Mitchkov. And the, the simple reason I think Mitchkov's hockey sense is next level. I think it, it is up there with some of the best players that I've tracked in terms of guys that I've watched. I think that he has some of the best uh, goal-scoring sense of any player. I think he just knows how to, to play the game. Meanwhile, Demidov had a ridiculous season last year in the U-20 ranks in Russia. And it puts him in a position, and he's been playing in the preseason with uh, Skaz top top pro team but it puts him in position to be a KHLer right now and as we know for ska which is one of the best teams in in St you know with St Petersburg that is a team that is absolutely going to uh you know give him an opportunity um you know he had 62 points in 41 games in the in the MHL last season he's got strength he's a little bit bigger than uh Mitchkov uh, I think he'll, you know, round out and to be stronger. He's a late 2005 birth date. So, you know, he, he he's going to be a little bit older for this next draft class. Um, and I think that also gives him a little bit of a, a leg up to play a little more KHL time this year. Um, in terms of, you know, what he's done so far in the preseason, he looks like a pro. Um, he looks like he belongs and he looks like, you know, they, they actually had him playing with Mitchkov, who was centering a line. Um, for Scott in their uh, their summer tournament. And so that's interesting too. I did not anticipate we'd see Matt Vemichkov in the middle at any point um, with, with such little defensive value in his game, but boy. But I don't think that we can say yet that Demidov is there. And the other thing is that Demidov doesn't have all these positional benchmarks that we saw with Mitchkov. Mitchkov was always a top scorer. Demidov played for the last Lincoln Gretzky cup team. He played at the last youth Olympics and he did fine. Like he was, you know, in terms of production, he was fine. He was a point per game player at the, at the Lincoln Gretzky. Um, and, and that's those, but those are benchmark events that we can compare to Mitchkov and Mitchkov 
ex- exploded at those tournaments at the same age. Um, so that makes it a little bit tougher with a player like Demidov um, to say that he's better than Mitchkov. I will say, though, he looks every bit like a, you know, a, a guy that's a threat to go in the top three of this NHL draft um, and potentially challenge for the top two. Uh, you know, I still think Macklin Celebrini is the most complete player in this draft uh, coming into it. But boy, Ivan Demidov gives you a lot to look forward to. And that is a name that you should absolutely know because he is something special. All right. We've got a question about this year's rookie class for the NHL and a lot of guys moving up. And this one comes from Anthony. And Anthony asks, who are the top three rookies that no one expects? I think Riker Evans could be up there. Um, well, I'm not sure exactly what um, no one expects, like in terms of if, if, if we don't expect them to, to, to compete for the Calder or different things like that. Um, you know, I'm really excited to see those guys. I mean, I, I think that, you know, Riker Evans is a great, uh, a great call out. He had a tremendous AHL season. Um, does that necessarily mean that he's ready to step into a full-time NHL role and be a contributor? We'll see. I mean, he's only one year removed from junior, but he's put himself in a position. We'll see how camp goes. That's a guy that keep an eye out for. Um, you know, another guy that I think will, I don't necessarily know if he'll make the Sabres because they're a lot deeper now, but a guy who's going to put himself in a position is Yuri Kulik, who we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, just a tremendous goal scoring season at the AHL level. A guy that I think has a, a ton of talent um, and in that goal scoring threat ability of his, um, puts him in a position to potentially make the Sabres. So that's a guy that I'm kind of keeping an eye on that maybe we're not uh, thinking about or talking about as much or maybe enough. Um, obviously, there are the guys like Cooley. Um, you know, I think we're going to see a couple of, of other signings here um, from guys that, you know, are, are eligible to sign on August 15th that might get a couple of looks. Um, but, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think I can give you three rookies because I think all the ones, it's such a deep rookie class this year. Um, when you think about the fact that there's going to be Cooley, there's going to be Bedard, there's going to be, um, you know, Shane Wright, if it is, does he come back and is he, you know, full-time rookie? There are a lot of players that, that are going to be in the mix for, for big-time roles with their teams. Um, and I think Riker Evans, who you mentioned, is one of those guys. All right, got another question from Danny. Um, everyone's looking forward to the big-name freshmen coming in like Celebrini and the NTDP line. Who are some of the under-the-radar under freshmen you're looking forward to watching this year. You know, one guy that I think we've talked about um, in this podcast already, Cole Knubel. After the summer camp that he just had with Team USA, he's going to go into Notre Dame and he's going to be an immediate impact player. Um, I've loved his game in, in USHL last year. I'm glad that he got drafted. I think he deserved to be drafted by Philadelphia. He's a smaller player, but he's he's got spark plug capabilities. Um, you know, I, I think anytime you look at guys that are coming into college hockey um, as freshmen, you start, you don't just look at those, those true freshmen. Cole Knubel's a little bit, he'll be an older freshman. You want to look at some of those guys that have a little bit more experience. You know, I think you look at, at Ryan Walsh, who had a great season at Cedar Rapids, got drafted by uh, Boston heading to Cornell. You know, he was the second leading scorer in the USHL behind Macklin Celebrini last year. He's got a chance to be a, a, a top tier player. Nick Moldenauer going to uh, the university of Michigan and giving him a, you know, he's, he's a guy that, you know, was drafted highly, produced at a high level. Um, he's part of that Chicago Steel to Ann Arbor pipeline. You know, those are guys that I think could have a significant impact on their respective rosters. Um, 
you know, you look at some of the other guys too, like Aiden Fink, who's going to Penn State. That's a big time commit for them. Um, he's going to play an impact role right away. He was the top player in the AJHL. Um, and so those guys are, are, are big timers. And um, we're also waiting to find out as well from uh, NCAA Clearinghouse if, if is Artem Duda going to be cleared to play for Maine. And if he is, that's a big time player. Uh, I don't know how he will be considering that he played in the KHL, but um, <laughs> he's he is a, a high end player that would be an impact player at the collegiate level. So those are some of the names to think about. Beyond the guys that we all know, um, you can also throw in Bradley Nadeau in there, who's a first-round draft pick, and um, really excited to see what he does at Maine. But a lot of good players there. So, Danny, thank you for the question. Um, really looking forward to this college hockey season. We're going to have a ton of great non-conference games and obviously the CCHA and Atlantic Hockey on Flow Hockey this year. All right, let's wrap this sucker up with one more question, and it is another Chicago Blackhawks fan chiming in. This one comes from Dan. Dan says, looking for names of guys beyond typical Kevin Korchinski, Frank Nazar, Drew Comesso on the Hawks that are flying under the radar. I'm interested in a dark horse candidate that with a little luck or the right opportunity could make an impact, even bottom six, over the next season or two. One guy to keep an eye on, not for next season, but the season after, um, is Ryan Green, who currently plays at Boston University. I really like his game. I think he's a two-way center with size, with competitiveness. Um, I think that's one of the guys for the Chicago Blackhawks that you say, this guy has a chance to really be a top-tier player for us. Um, And not top and not, I'm not meaning like a, a top tier prospect, I should say. And by that, I mean a guy that you feel is going to play NHL games and going to play NHL games at a young age and be impactful. Um, he still has a ways to go, but that's a guy that I think that, you know, came out of the USHL, played a great season at Boston University last year. That is a name to know amid all the glitz and all the glamour. He's the kind of guy that could potentially play a third or fourth line role for your team. And the way he plays is going to endear himself to fans really, really quickly. So that is a dark horse name to think about. Well, that just about does it. We That, that wraps up our questions. If I didn't get to your questions this week, I'll, I'll try to get to them next time. We won't be back next week, but we'll be back in a few uh, as we continue to prepare for the 2023-24 season. We'll have plenty more to talk about. Uh, we've got lots coming up, a lot of live hockey coming up on Flow Hockey. You can still watch the Beauty League as well. So make sure you are... Uh, on Flow Hockey for a ton of coverage of a number of events. So we've got a lot more uh, as we prepare for the season. So do not miss any of that. Huge thanks to everybody that asked questions today. My thanks to Tyler for producing my all, and also for all of you uh, for listening, for sticking with us, for hanging out in the summer and making sure that you are still getting your hockey fix. Just keep in mind, you want to download this podcast. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on flowhockey.tv anywhere you get podcasts in the audio format. But that is going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My thanks again to you for joining me. My name is Chris Peters. We'll see you next time.